this is just a friendly warning. But if you are uncomfortable with sex talk, then this episode about sex and the mindset won't be for you. Because I have with me my good friend TV's doctor Anand Patel, who you may have seen on shows like Embarrassing Bodies and Celebrities Save Our Sperm. He is a sexual health expert who coaches doctors on sex and relationships. Now this is one eye-opening episode which is going to surprise you with sexual information you probably have not heard before. Are you ready? And welcome my friend Dr Anand Patel. How are you? I'm really well thank you very much and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It's a delight to be here. I'm so happy that you're here because you're the one person I know that we can have a great conversation around sex with... That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, Although I think cause... perhaps you know, gay men in general are quite good at having a conversation about sex with their friends, perhaps not necessarily telling the truth all the way. But uh, <laughs> yes, they're generally pretty open about things in most cases. Yeah, and that's why I think this would be, you know, looking at the subjects that we're going to cover, and I've got my community to send me questions I think everyone who's listening to this is really going to benefit from exploring the myths. We're going to be talking about just sex drive. We're going to be talking about um, libido, around menopause, antidepressants, all sorts of things. So, um, and porn, yeah, of course. Got to slide that one in. <laughs> yeah, we're literally going to try and wedge it all into about half an hour. So, no, let's go. Yeah, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Okay, right. So, um, is there a problem around reduced sex drive at the moment. I seem to be hearing about it quite a lot, all sorts of things going on. Is there something happening which is causing an issue? I work mainly in men's health. I mean, I work as a GP and so, so yeah. see women as well, but mostly I see men and men present between the age of say 20 and 80 or 90 really, um, to me with sexual function problems. Um, and we've certainly seen a massive increase at our clinic in terms of interest um, and people wanting to know a bit more about the clinic, a bit more about um, sexual problems, sexual function um, and desire in particular, actually. It's not just I can't get an erection, which used to be 10 years ago, what was coming through the door. It's much more so now. I just don't seem to have sexual interest, um, which is kind of what libido is for me. You know, if you if, if you would previously have looked at someone and thought, oh, they're attractive as they walk past you or had a stirring in your groin or something like that. And, and now nothing you know they could just literally walk past you and that's the sort of thing we're hearing going you know five ten years ago i'd have felt really sexually interested i'd have been i'd looked at that person uh you know not trying to stare or anything but actually that would have caused sexual interest in my brain which would have then transmitted to my groin now there's none of that and i do wonder whether partly there's some sort of social stuff going on, on out there there's some biological chemical stuff with our environment that's happening um, in terms of exposure to uh, you know, higher levels of you know, uh, estrogens, um, things that are actually altering our, uh, our sort of male hormonal chemistry. And this will equally apply to you know, people, if you've got you know, ovaries and you're working on that system, it's a very similar system. And I think those external environmental factors may well be affecting us. Certainly they're affecting our sperm count, et cetera. Um, and I think there are um, uh, messages we're getting externally about how we should be having sex and what the sort of sex we should be having, and who we should be having sex with, and, and what sex should mean, that are kind of changing what we, I think, what we've kind of brought up to believe. We're in a very transient moment, I feel, you know, mm. I think um, in the last, you know, even short periods, I know for most people, 50 years will feel like a long time. But actually, if we're changing the sort of 
culture about how we talk about sex or how society is structured around sex, because most societies at the moment are you know, monogamous, mostly. Um, there are about there are about sort of a quarter to a third of societies around the world that aren't monogamous. Um, so that's interesting as well. But actually, if you're trying to have a structured monogamous society, um, it's kind of better that they don't want to have sex and that they are structured within uh, sort of narrow social bandwidths about what's appropriate and what's uh, sensible. So that's a long way of saying, yes, I think mm. there are more people okay. turning up to see people, to see me and, and other professionals about uh, low libido, low sexual desire. But I think there's loads of different reasons from biological, chemical, environmental to social. Okay, brilliant. And just going into, so you, I, I've had lots of young guys come to me. And one of the things that we've looked at in regards to what's happening with their libido is porn. And their relationship with, they've become more addicted to, say, a person on screen. And they've kind of lost desire for people in real life or their partner. Uh, what what's what have you seen in regards to this area and you know how is porn you know affecting our expectations of sex and also how we process sex i think that's it's a really interesting question and it's very timely uh, i mean pornography has been around what 20 30 years in, in sort of visual context online i mean the last sort of 10 or 15 years most people have you know high speed internet are able to get access to pretty much whatever they want depending on the country's filters right yeah. uh, so they can see virtually everything you know the average age of exposure is somewhere between 10 and 12 so Ooh. you know you people are seeing a, a, a pornography from a very young age mm. either being shown by their friends i mean you know i remember when i was younger my cousin showed me a couple copy of razzle when i was 12 and my brother was 10 and this was oh my god it's a porn magazine but, mm. but that's, that's literally all i would see apart from the, you know the, the littlewoods catalog which is like a catalog full of you know people with underwear and something so you know it was all <laughs> stuff that was really low key in general yeah. that you had to then fantasize about so a lot of it was mental and cerebral um rather than actually you having so much visual input all the time now mm. there is a whole there's lots of arguments out there in the community and i'm sure you know as a, as a, as a therapist um that you know is porn a bad thing is it a good thing well it, it's here now there's not anything we can do about it it, it, it it's, it's in our psyche it's in the environment mm. we have to learn how to deal with it but actually there's not a huge amount of evidence that it's actually bad for you Okay. Um, so th that's actually really important to say. Um, th th there was a lot of early evidence, well, you know, as in studies done, saying, um, I mean, there was a fascinating one done in America where they got two groups of sort of teenagers um, and one who'd been exposed to pornography, you know, maybe about the age of 15 or 16, the other group that hadn't. And the group that had been exposed to pornography rated their partners as less attractive. They rated the sex that they were having as less good and they rated their relationships as less good quality. And I found okay. that really, really interesting mm. because, you know, is it a comparison effect that obviously their partners, who are probably also 15 or 16, uh, you know, uh, can't match up to, you know, the people that they're watching online? Because, like, if you're watching porn, it's basically, I mean, like, you wouldn't watch James Bond to learn how to drive. Yet here we're <laughs> watching pornography as us, as us sex ed. Because I, I think mostly around the world, and there are countries where this isn't true, sex ed isn't actually brilliant. Um, and uh, in some places, it's very restrictive. Um, in the UK, it's, it's actually quite poor as well. Um, uh, until recently, I think we had the highest pregnancy rate you know, in Europe. Um, so it was, you know, we are learning more and more about um, the impact of, of sex education. And I think lots of people have turned to pornography and some people are having much better sex lives. 
uh, as a result of pornography. You know, they've seen a sexual position that they, they think, oh, that's interesting. Or they've seen a type of sex which they never thought they'd be into and actually go, oh, no, that is something that, that I'm drawn to. Um, you know, some people have learned that they like S&M, you know, sadomasochism, which hadn't been something that they'd necessarily understood about themselves. So I think there is lots of learning that goes on, which is all positive. But I think there are some people that can... I think code their bodies in a way. I mean, if we think mm. of, of, of like, you know, our hand, our penis, if we talk about using porn, I think we have to face the fact that it's generally masturbating. We're not just sat there with popcorn and watching, <laughs> you know, our, our favorite porn star getting railed. <laughs> what we're doing is actively engaging in, in, in yeah, yeah. masturbation, usually, or sex, or you know, whatever, whatever, you, whatever it is that you're doing. So if you're engaging with that, it, it, there's a certain way that you often do that. You learn a pattern of behavior. Mm. So, you know, you might open up your laptop. You may not use lubricant, um, you know, so you may have a dry hand. And, for example, the dry hand, the, 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 the sort of pressure um, and the tension and the friction you get with a dry hand compared to masturbating with a lubricated hand or actually penetrative sex, oral, anal, or vaginal sex, you know, whatever type of sex you're trying to have it they don't mirror each other and if you have spent for example from the age of 12 to 17 for example masturbating on almost a daily basis sometimes several times a day if you're very excited and very you know charged sexually then you're going to learn to code i think um mm. that the way that you reach orgasm is you you know you have a dry hand and you masturbate with you know, a certain stroke speed and you speed up towards the end and it may be that for you you focus on the head or you only focus on the shaft and therefore you neglect part of um the, the, the penis or, or, or vulva or clitoris or whatever however you're, you're masturbating um, which means it doesn't necessarily replicate what you do in sex with another person. Um, and therefore, you know, I, I feel strongly that there are some people that get the sensation of death grip. They're squeezing their penis so hard in their really tight you know, uh, glove that actually that doesn't replicate what a vagina or an anus or a mouth mm. does. Um, and therefore, they're, they're actually struggling to ejaculate in, in those orifices. Uh, what they're having to do is pull out masturbate to get yeah, yeah. to orgasm and you see that as a kind of trope on porn don't you you know people pull out and it's very visual because the idea yeah. is you're meant to be able to see everything because if you don't see it did it really happen and that's the point of porn it's to make it ultra visual visual mm. ultra stimulating ultra arousing which sex is in a different way with another person because actually you get all that tactile stimulus that you don't otherwise get you know i mean i think it's so important to recognize that um, the physical contact um, actually makes a really big difference to certain hormonal releases in the in the body and brain. For example, like oxytocin is much higher in physical contact than it is if you're looking at a screen. So there are some differences and benefits uh, from both ways. But mm. I, I don't think anything can match the sheer visceral and innovating factor of having multiple screens open of videos that are mm. two to three minutes long and then you're skipping between sexual partners almost, which keeps you frantically engaged and with the best will in the world you may love your partner as much as, as, as you can but actually how sexually stimulating can one person be when you've got the potential to have sex in half an hour with 57 people yeah that's a that's a very you know, good doing point. huge numbers of things in lots of different positions um, that you may or may not ever engage in in lots of different ways. Um, and, and I think that is hyper stimulating. I don't know if it works for some people during sex, but equally to say that for other people, it's actually a very educational moment and, and, and some of it is positive. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's always positive for the performers. Um, and, and I think there are, you know, there are some companies that are trying to do more ethical um, pornography um, that has more support for their performers around there. So just putting that out there. 
Yeah, no, it's it. I think these are really great points, and it's something I do hear quite a lot. Is the I don't want I you know I don't find my partner as interesting as is in, as interesting as the people I'm seeing on screen, and also they're being exposed to I guess that hyperstimulation means it's going to plateau at some point, so they're going to look for something even more stimulating. And then at a plateau, then there'll be something even more stimulating. So is this where extreme fetish can come from? Well, I think you know, so fetish is, is kind of like an attraction to an object. Mm. Um, it, it, and I, I, I don't know if it kind of it kind of makes you go that way. I think you know, if you have an interest in inanimate objects, then, then you know, maybe you'll have a have a fetish going on, and that will then just allow you to understand it, perhaps. But in some people, they do become very narrowly focused, for example, on one particular porn star or one particular sex act. And that's then not what's demanded. Also, the type of sex can often be quite aggressive. Um, mm, you know, sometimes yeah. it's, 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 you know, it can be very forceful, um, and that can lead to expectations and problematic expectations of first sexual sort of contact. You know, you're expecting that actually part of sex is to be choked, and and certainly in you know, in, in certain um, uh, you know, sexual groups, um, you know, choking has become a feature. Uh, of sex certainly um some people have significant um they, they had you know, significant erotic value to the volume of ejaculate you're thinking who on earth decided that you have to come like buckets <laughs> where did that come from but it's all because it's visual yeah, yeah. and we're, we're, we've somehow decided to not only put a value on the size of a penis or the appearance of a, of, of a vulva uh, but it's also the amount of ejaculate that comes out and if a woman can squirt and if a rectum can take 10 inches and all of these and, and if people mm. can last hours and you're thinking i don't think that's hugely helpful i don't think that's really helpful in terms of us recognizing that this is not reality and if even if we do recognize this isn't reality it does set up expectations in our minds that i don't think necessarily helpful yeah that that narrative that can build up from from watching porn is this something that you you know do you think that's having an impact on you know uh, the confidence around sex is i can't match what i'm seeing on screen i can't even find a partner who looks like these people on screen so therefore i'm a failure I, you know i don't look like I, my penis isn't going to be that big like i can see you know the the whoppers that are on screen it, it just must have an impact on their mental health as well surely yeah i mean and certainly i've, I've had patients i mean I, I obviously you will see much more about their mental health than, than i perhaps mm. will but certainly the patients I'm seeing, there's a whole overlap between the issue they're concerned about and then the behaviours they develop to try and manage their concerns. So if, for example, they have premature ejaculation, which that's a real problem that actually we're having at the moment. We've got loads of men coming to see me with what they say is premature ejaculation. You kind of break it down going, so what does early ejaculation mean for you? And they go, oh, you know, I, I, I ejaculate after 20 minutes. And I'm like, well, what did you think was normal? And they were like, you know, half an hour, an hour. And I was kind of going, well, did, in the UK, the average time, there's a study that was done a few years ago, was 5.4 minutes from penetration to ejaculation. And the more recent study was 7.2 minutes. So it's really, I mean, for some people, that will feel like a long time. For other people, you're like, oh, God, okay, actually recognizing the normality of the situation, mm. one, makes them feel more confident and comfortable with it. But two, where has their expectation come from? And that's almost certainly pornography related and certainly the information they're getting from social media, from their friends and their peer groups. You know, are, are, we're not going to really be talking to our parents about sex to the detail of, oh, actually, dad, I'm worried I come too early. That's mm. not the conversation I feel I could ever have with my dad. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> have any conversation about sex with my dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that would make, you know, who else am I going to go for information? 
And I think that these misinformation plus expectations that are unhelpful then lead to anxiety about performance. They can lead to um, even relationship avoidance. And I've had patients who have specifically not got together and had relationships and they've been asked out but avoided them because at a party when they were 14, someone reached down their pants and they ejaculated or, you know, almost instantly. Mm. Um, and that has made them so worried about being known as a preemie or, uh, you know, or whatever horrible term that, that people use um, to, to, to define. You know, if you, get, if you get a nickname like that, it kind of sticks, doesn't it? And yeah. it can stick for years and be really problematic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're getting issues with um, uh, premature ejaculation um, and, and, and the uh, relationship concerns. But often we realize that premature ejaculators can be really good lovers because often they focus on the foreplay and the pleasure of the other person before they you know, kind of hop on. Um, and, and, and finish. Um, so, you know, premature ejaculation is actually gone in 60 seconds. So it's from penetration to ejaculation or whatever sex act within 60 seconds okay. um, uh, penetration. So it's kind of a relatively short time. Uh, and most people are longer than that. But equally, it's kept in the population because um, evolutionary wise, the sooner you can get your genes away, the less likely you are to have your hamstrings ripped out or your buttocks bitten into by the saber-toothed tiger that's tracking you whilst you're trying to get your end away. <laughs> that's such a, such a powerful imagery. <laughs> um, actually, talking about the evolutionary side of things, um, what is the, you know, and I know that you've talked about this before, I did see you talk about this on another clip, but what is the evolutionary reason for the shape of the penis? Uh, there's lots of different theories about it, but, yeah. but there's, there's, it's, that one potential thing which I find really interesting is that um, the, the bell ends, so the, 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 the tip of it is shaped so that it would scrape out the maximum amount of semen that the previous partner had deposited with the idea yeah, that, yeah. Um, uh, that, 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 that you know, our, our precursor ape species were, were, were non-monogamous. Um, in the main and actually the, 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 there would be multiple people sorry, multiple males mating with the female and actually it would be the highest quality sperm that would be getting there so that was one factor um, and, 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 and two you know having the sort of right shaped penis that would kind of uh, remove um, excess semen in there to get yours uh, your own in there wow uh, that, that that did that did well that was an eye-opener when I when I saw that clip and I did research it and there are yeah, other species yeah, yeah. There are other animals yeah, who yeah, actually, like chimpanzees, yeah. equally have. A, come, sorry, because I'm interrupting you. Talk, so yeah. you talk. There are other animals that have, um, you know, shaped penises that do are, are designed to just to scrape out um, previous participants' uh, semen, and and it was it was fascinating. But yeah, I just wanted to to get your view on that because that just you know yeah, something that we just never thought about. Spiral, spiral. Spiral penises that kind of lock in yeah. to the other partner so they can't get away. I mean, obviously, it's that's gross, <laughs> but equally, it's also you know, evolution. Um, so it, that, that I think fascinating, and the, the length of the penis. You know, everyone's obsessed with the idea that a penis should be massive, but actually, um, the the they did a very big study in the UK, and the average size penis was uh, you know, five point two inches. Uh, sorry, five point one inches yeah. uh, in length, and that's from the base of the shaft as it as it touches the pubic bone and and, and the distance to the tip. Um, and it, obviously, if you've got a if you've got a curve in it, you've got to measure along the curve using some um, mm. tailor's tape. Um, but actually, and there was there was not a huge amount of variation. So very few people have a very big penis, and very few people have a very small penis. Most people have a kind of four to seven inch penis. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then most of them are very much in the center, and that makes sense because the average length of the vulva, 
um, when it's un, uh, when it's unaroused is eight centimeters, which is you know, which is three and a half inches. So actually, if you mm. had a ten inch penis trying to go into a three to five inch space, that's going to be potentially very uncomfortable um, for, for the other person unless they're very highly aroused. So yeah, I mean, there, there are there are patients that come to us that do have sexual problems because of anatomical mismatch, where basically it's too big to fit. Mm. And that can cause real you know, issues. Uh, and it's not the positive thing that people imagine. I think there was that program on, on, on British TV about you know, my massive penis or whatever it's called, yeah, my massive it. cock or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it was actually quite sad the, hearing the stories of these men that weren't, uh, weren't able to have relationships because partly they were fetishized. They were like, oh, yeah. yes, you know, great. He's got this big one. That's really important. But actually, people didn't want to then have sex with them. They just kind of wanted to look at it or hold it, but not really sexually engage with it, which left, understandably, these men very frustrated. Uh, it, it's, it's this thing that's worshipped, isn't it? As you said, it's this narrative that comes from, I mean, obviously, I don't know if that's totally from the porn industry or movie industry, but it's this idea that the bigger, the better. But in reality, it's just not, it's just not great for either person if they can't, if they can't have great sex or, or, you know, or procreate. No. So. Crazy. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the, you know, if we think about, if we think about our parents' age, like uh, when I was young, how, I mean, if thinking about school, the only, I would have, I would potentially see my dad when he got out of the shower once on holiday, and I might have seen the kids in the changing room, but mm. that was it. I wasn't seeing any other yeah, penises yeah. anywhere. So, so my range of reference is actually very narrow. Whereas these days, it's like a, you know, all you can eat buffet, or maybe not all you can eat. Let's like, just say buffet <laughs> of penises everywhere. All you can eat is the wrong term. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like there's like a massive like number of images that you then compare yourself to. I think it's mm. human nature to compare yourself and think, am I less? Am I more? Uh, you know, and obviously there's all this comment like big dick energy and big vulva energy and whatever you want to state, as if your personality is defined by your penis length um, or the sex quality that you're having um, is is defined by that, and it's frustrating for some people. Yeah. Um, can you go into, because obviously this sort of narrative can create anxiety, as we've, as we've briefly mentioned. How does anxiety impact libido? So um, we're generally quite visual creatures. So if information is coming in through the eyes of something we find attractive, it goes to the part of the brain which activates the erections. Let's we'll we'll just start with with, with men if that's right. It'll activate the, uh, the the sort of erection centres, and that will send information down the spinal cord. Um, uh, and that actually, so to be fair, this is actually equivalent in women. So we'll do it for both. Um, information goes into the brain, goes to the back of the brain, um, stimulates information to go down your spinal cord to your genitals, where it then encourages blood vessels to open up. And you either get vulval engorgement um, and clitoral uh, increase, uh, or you get an erection. Um, now, if, however, you have, and sorry, and to make that happen, that really requires you to relax what's called the sympathetic system. So you've got kind of two systems running in your body, your fight or flight system, uh, which is the sympathetic, and your parasympathetic, which is mm. kind of more chilled out, relaxed um, system. So at the moment, you and I are activating our sympathetic system because it's not polite to get an erection in public. It's not polite to get an erection in the podcast. You know, we're just not sexually stimulated. So our sympathetic system is running on high. Yep. Now, if, however, you're anxious, the sympathetic system ramps up. So you've got loads of that um, uh, high level um, nervous tone 
nervous energy cutting out that information going down your spinal cord it's actively limiting your ability to get an erection so it's a vicious cycle so if you're in a you know, you've already excited to see someone part of that excitement is actually the sympathetic mm. and it's keeping you aroused and so there's a balance between being aroused enough to get you know to, to want to have sex with someone but then being relaxed enough to not have that information to your genitals overwhelmed and I think that's what's difficult. You know, some people have um, sexual problems on first meeting their partner, and that can then cause issues ongoing in terms of, oh, like, will, will I get an erection? Will I be able to keep it? Might I lose it? So, yeah, it's that really important thing about being able to relax the sympathetic system, let the parasympathetic take over. That will then allow the information to go to your, um, to your genitals. Blood flow will then go to your penis or your, your vulva, and then you'll get you know, the genital arousal that wants to hopefully match your mental arousal. Uh, and it's the same thing. So you know, with anxiety, the performance anxiety, any form of anxiety, you worrying about your your mum's illness, you worrying about school, you know, your college or whatever you're worried about, that will again cut through the information going to your genitals. And it will often mean that sex either isn't as pleasurable or doesn't feel as aroused as it would be, or in some cases, entirely erectile failure. I think there is this big thing about you should go to work all day and work really hard. You should have got up, got up, got up early. You should have gone to the gym. You should have come back from work. You should have put your kids to bed, maybe. You should have then had a couple of drinks and had an evening with your partner. And then you want to have try and have sex. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so then in that really high stress, high anxiety, yeah. high, uh, high sympathetic tone day, are you going to get the moment actually relax to then have sex? So I think people's expectations about having it all are unrealistic. Yes, you can, but you, you may have to take moments and recognize we're not going to be able to have sex tonight. Or we're going to have to make time to have sex, particularly if you have a family or a busy life. You may need to go, right, we've got date night. You know, we'll have enough time to spend with each other. We'll re-arouse ourselves. Because the other thing is people forget to flirt when they've been in a long-term relationship. True. You know, all of yeah, that kind yeah. of sexy stuff that yeah. you're sending as a text, or even the nice comments, or even mm. back in the day when I'm old enough, you know, the nice letters. I mean, God, I make myself sound like <laughs> a But like, yeah, all of, that, all of that stuff that kind of warms you up in the early days kind of stops. And in the early days, we're like a micro, you just switch us on. But as it gets older and older, you know, you, got, you turn into a bit more of an arger. And for those of you, an arger is like an oil-fired like uh, oven. It takes hours and hours and hours to warm up. And that's yeah, what yeah. kind of we still should be doing. We should be telling our partners how great they are, how attractive they are, you know, how, how much we're looking forward to seeing them. And it doesn't need to be about sex. You don't need to be sending them a picture of your dick at work. I'm not suggesting that necessarily, but particularly at work. But equally at the same time, you know, just sending positive inferences about how you know, pleased you are with them and about how much you want to see them and, and then have sex with them, etc. That gets you really responsive. Um, and allows you to get into a space where you're kind of excited, but not too excited, which allows you to have sex more easily. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think that's really powerful, you know, and if anyone takes anything from our conversation today, I think it's that wooing and flirting and romancing your partner because make them feel special and also so that you can feel special. It's such a, a two-way street. Uh, going into the... Yeah, you know, and there's, there's loads of evidence of... So I'm sure you know, but there's yeah. a study that was done that showed that if you do anything with your partner that is new, so it doesn't have to be anything sexual. It mm -hmm. could be for, I don't know, both of you go um, and see a lovely view or both of you go and I don't know, play play table hockey or table, see, it was something like that. Um, and you see each other in a slightly different or new light, you re-trigger that dopamine rush uh, that then gives you more sexual interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So newness is really important to us. So if you if you know if you see a horror film or you see a lovely view or whatever, that triggers newness, which makes us feel a sense of pleasure and, uh, that, that we've got there. And then there'll be opiates at the end of that, which give you the pleasure. So there's dopamine firing up the go-getting bit of it, the searching bit of it, and then the the, uh, uh, the gift you get at the end for having done it is is your opiates um, and oxytocin, which then bonds yeah. you together. So that's all like. If you can keep those fired fired up over time, that's so important for maintaining a long term relationship and then maintaining sexual performance. Because actually, you know, it can become more difficult to maintain an erection in a long term relationship again because you may not find that partner. Well, that partner may look different. I mean, you know, I look, I, I am two stone heavier than when I met my partner. I'm now on a health kick. However, you know, I look different to how I did when I met him a long time ago you know so mm. the issue is you have to do a bit of maintenance because the person that i and he met is not the person that we are now but with that ongoing connection if you can maintain that you can sustain a really good relationship just a quick break to say i am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine 2023 we are kicking your ass now this is a channel of experimental content i know you are going to love now mindset change another level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations without ads, intros and outros, so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level, and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. People often forget and they just get caught up in this wheel of life, this rat race. And not only do they forget to invest in themselves and to look after themselves, but that also has an impact on, you know, their relationship with their partner. And I, again, it's going to be, I'm just going to go into the expectations around sex. And I think that also leans into this is this expectation to just walk into the bedroom and just rip each other's clothes off and to be able to just, you know, not warm up with the oven, but just pants on each other and have this incredible sexual experience. That's high. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, that's, that's something that is completely unrealistic. And yet it's something that these expectations keep coming up. What sort of expectations do you see coming into your clinic that you think, whoa, that is, that's dangerous or that's not going to work out? I mean, the most interesting story, I think I've had, I've had, I've had a story about um, uh, a patient who had premature ejaculation and had found themselves an unattractive partner to practice on. Okay. And I was, so because they said, well, I'll last longer because they're not as good looking. And I found that fascinating because I'd mm. been seeing this person over a period of time and I was taken aback by that. And I thought, so you're purely going to be using them sexually so that you can extend the length of time you can have sex. Wow. And they were like, 
yes. And I said, well, do you want to just take a minute and think about the moral implications of that and the ethical implications of that? How would you feel mm. if that's what this relationship was based on? Um, and that person obviously considered it. I mean, obviously, uh, um, and I think that's that sort of thing I find quite problematic, that, you, that other people are commodities. Mm. Um, and, and, and some people do have a view like that. Obviously, that changes, and one hopes that people understand over time that that's not the way they should behave. I and mean, hopefully they understand that from the beginning. But I think you know, uh, one forgives young people often um, for their understanding of relationships, etc. But lots yeah. of those beliefs are maintained throughout life. And I think it is about challenging them when you hear them. But we get lots of issues with you know, how long should I last? Um, uh, I'm not good enough in bed, often related to, to, to penis size or, or vulval appearance. You know, the labia look wrong. And so wanting to have bits removed um, to, 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 to look like the perfect vulva that they see on porn. Wow. Or the type of sex that they're having is actually damaging to them. You know, um, they saw this in a, in a film that, that they watched and they thought they tried out with their partner and actually they got hurt doing it. Um, you know, and because they weren't aroused and because they were worried about it. And obviously, if you're worried, you know, for example, your pelvic floor clamps up. I mean, your pelvic floor is a, a muscle sort of um, sling, uh, and the vagina is kind of like a space uh, with, with potential space within that. And if, for example, your pelvic floor closes up, it's going to be incredibly painful to try and get a penis within there or whatever um, you, you want to put in there. Um, so, and if they're if, if women are scared or you've got a vagina and you're scared, and you know you've not got the information going down your spinal cord, you won't lubricate necessarily. Mm. Now, some people do auto-lubricate, which is a very protective feature, an evolutionary protective feature, because I imagine cavemen weren't necessarily waiting until their partner was necessarily fully excited or, or lubricated. However, um, it, it's also something that we should be really aware of. You know, there is a, a lot of reporting that people are not necessarily very aware of their arousal. They think they're aroused up here, but their mm. genitals aren't. Wow. Okay. Um, and I think this disconnect is, is a real problem because we're not necessarily understanding what particularly turns us on as individuals. I think there's a sort of homogenization of what people should be attracted to. It should always be this body type with that face, with that hair, rather than going, actually, I don't really find that person attractive. I prefer someone, you know, I mean, I prefer someone, for example, who's curvy. I prefer someone who's got a hairier chest. I prefer, you know, whatever it is that actually gets you going. And I think learning what actually your, your, your responses are, what does make you excited? What does turn you on? Question it. You know, with your partner, it does nibbling an earlobe work for you? Does, you know, licking the back of a neck or touching the back of a knee or an inner thigh? Why are we so focused on like nipples and genitals? And, and or because you know, there's something, you know, which I'm sure you, you talk about called sensate focus. Mm. where it's kind of like a, a, a body game you play to map the erogenous zones, you know, the sexually interesting parts of you that aren't your genitals. So what you can do is with your partner, so you spend 10 minutes on each person's body. It has to be a decent amount of time so you get over the embarrassment of the other person looking at you and yeah, spending yeah, yeah. all of that time just looking at your body, being admired, which can feel really threatening and really embarrassing, but actually let it happen. Let that fear go. Once you've got through that, can that be a few minutes? Then if they observe your body and then start to touch you, think about what works for you, because it may be completely different to what you've been doing. And those lessons we learn in early life, we often keep replicating. Oh, yeah, this is what I deserve. It should always be painful. It should never be enjoyable. These are not helpful lessons. You know, it, it, I, I meant to enjoy the, um, penetrative sex. Why? 
You know, yes, you're told as, as a gay man that either you should be a top or a bottom, or you can be yeah. first. You know, you may be, you know, if you're heterosexual, you're, you know, as a woman, you may be told that you know you should always be on the receiving end of penetration. But actually, in women, you know, all the fun's in the front. Well, lots of the fun is in the front. You know, the the, the vulva's all the front. So it, it's entirely possible to have a very healthy, fabulous sex life without ever penetrating. And if that's something that appeals to you, have a talk to your partner. You know. One would hope that communication and avenues of communication have got better. But I don't think they necessarily have. I think the ex social, sexual expectations around us are so strong mm. that it means it's difficult to say, I don't know if I like the way we kiss. Yeah, or yeah, actually, yeah. I might enjoy it in a different way if we tried that. And obviously, I wouldn't say it like that. I'd say, I really love it when you do X, trying to promote the positive response that you want, right? Um, yeah. But it can feel really challenging to 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 to, to, to sort of like that. Or if you want to be touched in a way or have a type of sex that you feel that the other person might be threatened by, is really challenging. If you want to change the roles up, you know, if you've always been, for example, a receptive partner and you want to be the, the active partner, and, but you've never broached that, hopefully you have the the communication, which is the biggest thing. And I'm sure this is such a key thing for you and your and, and your clients is the ability to communicate with your partner, which hopefully evolves over time, but sometimes gets stuck. You know, we, yeah, we, we think we're the people that we are. And actually, as you get older, have more fun. You know, there is a freedom in the menopause in some ways. You know, lots of women find that they're more sexually uh, vibrant because they don't have to worry about getting pregnant. Okay. There, um, there is less restrictions. There is a specific, yeah, there's a real cultural and social mm. thing about that. Uh, and obviously for other people, because of the menopause and the hormone changes, they lubricate less well and then sex can be more uncomfortable. But often with HRT, that can be completely resolved. Uh, and, and I appreciate menopause is not a single thing. It, it's, it's such a variety across people. It's such a massive spectrum of how um, people respond when they're menopausal. But some people find it very difficult to have sex and their, their skin mapping changes. So the, the lack of estrogen, the low estrogen levels means that sensation can be different. So I used to, you know, you might be used to like having your neck touched, but all of a sudden you hate it. Yeah. So actually that you have to tell your partner that because otherwise you're now having sex you don't like. Uh, which isn't going to work for you so being able to communicate the fact that things have changed and then having a partner that will explore the new geography the new landscape of your body is really important um and, and i don't even know if, i mean for, for you what are you seeing more of now with your clients um i mostly it was um i got i got a lot of young guys it was mostly coming to me around their sexual confidence uh, some of them have never had sex and they want to have sex um but the way that they were approaching it was very terrifying for them. Somehow they were going to somehow do that in a nightclub, which I know it sounds quite traditional. You go to a nightclub, you get dancing with someone and then you, you know, you, you pull or whatever. Um, but there seems to be a different sort of attitude towards that now. And these guys are lacking in the ability to, to approach someone and to have a conversation you know, you talked about communication just then, and I do think there's a real communication issue happening as a whole. Uh, so that's that's been a big thing. And so a question that came up around communication earlier from my community was, um, what do you do if your partner won't wear condoms, which is uh, a necessity? And then that's a communication issue, really. It's a, you know, what oh, is it about abuse, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's what is it that's happening where the other person is saying no to something that you feel is vital? 
there needs to be a conversation around that. What would you, what would you advise them? Because it was a question that they they wanted me to ask you. So, I mean, it, it my sort of immediate first thought is my safeguarding hat goes on. Um, yeah. In in terms of thinking, you know, are you being forced? to do a sex act that you don't want to do in a, or in a way that you don't want to. Because if, if they're refusing to wear a condom, you're having sex in a way that you don't want to have sex. Yeah. So to me, that would feel abusive, potentially rape. Yeah. So for me, it's actually extremely worrisome. Um, it's crossing a boundary that you would like to have there. There is a lack of consent. I mean, I know I, we shouldn't necessarily be talking like green flags and red flags, but to yeah, me, yeah. that's a red flag. That is a problem for me. If your partner is so dismissive of your view that you should be using a condom, that they will ha- that you will have sex without one, that to me is is an absolute problem. Yeah. And now, yeah. but I appreciate that's not necessarily. There's so many reasons, and, and relationships are so complicated. And there's so many yeah. things that bind us together. And it may be that you want to be with them, you love them, uh, and and this is that one thing. And I appreciate for me it feels like quite a big thing, but I appreciate for you it might it might be lesser because there's so many different reasons, aren't they, that you value in terms of why you're having a relationship with them? Is it because you emotionally love them? Is it because they provide safety? Is it security? Is it the sex is great? Are you dignitized because they've got a brilliant penis or well, well they look beautiful? You know what is yeah. it? What is, have they got money? What is the reason? What are what are your reasons for being with them? And if actually not wearing a condom doesn't matter to you that much then it may be a reason that you kind of go actually i will accept that because of everything else but if it is a problem for you then it's a conversation that needs to be had and those conversations i think are much better done not when you're having sex they need to be for my point of view in like a neutral environment as possible um, when both people are rested and relaxed and people have not been drinking or under the influence of anything. Yeah, I, I, um, and I, if you absolutely. are then able to just drink, you know, I so agree with you. Think... I mean, you, you, you do this more than I do, I'm sure. But I think having a conversation where you you ask permission for that conversation, going, look, I want to talk to you about something. Is now a good time? Mm. Uh, and, and and I think you have to be upfront about how it makes you feel. Yep, I absolutely and, and, and agree with that. And if you work with I feel comments, I think that's less, that can come across as less challenging. Not that you shouldn't be challenging, mm. don't get me wrong. I'm very yeah. pro this should be definitely challenged. Um, but I think the way you challenge it um, is important because it depends on what outcome you want. If you want to fight, go in full with, you're a fucking bastard that doesn't wear condoms. All right, you want to go big, yeah, go yeah. big. But actually that that's going to bring you to a fight level immediately. So if that's not what you want, then actually you'll phrase it a different way. I mean, what do you, what do you encourage, Paul? I, again, it's I, I I do encourage the type of language which doesn't put the other person in defensive mode. So yeah, exactly with the you know this is how it's impacting me. Without the directing it at you, uh, so that they're talking about their feelings and how it makes them feel uh, to and get the other person to understand where they're coming from. If they're going with the "you're making me feel," "you're doing this to me," etc., you're going to get a, you're going to get a fight on your hands. And it's really important to get across exactly what it is that you want to happen as well, you know, and to to make sure that your point is heard, um, even if you write it down first of all. But it is having these conversations without alcohol, uh, without not when you're about to have sex or during sex or after sex. 
um, but in, in a place where you feel safe so that you can just get an idea of what it is, where the other person's coming from, understand where they're coming from on it and put your point across. I mean, I heard a lovely thing about saying like, you know, the story I have in my head is. Yeah. Uh, and then you start talking um, because each of us have a view and then there's the truth that hopefully lies somewhere in, in yeah, between yeah. that. Um, and, and, and the perspective that someone else has might be entirely, uh, I think most of the time people are not bad people. I think most of the time they're just not thinking or they, you know, they, they are, they are, they, I think most of them that they're not actively trying to cause you harm or actively ignoring your feelings. I think they probably just don't understand what it means to you. There will be cases, and I'm, you know, uh, I'm sure that there are that, that, you know, and that we have had problems with mm. active abusive situations yeah. where people are actively dismissive and actually um, gain some sort of sexual power from this uh, and not wearing condoms and and, and, uh, getting people repeatedly pregnant whether or not they keep the baby is a significant form of abuse for some people it's a form of control Mm. um so you know i'm not saying this is this is easy and this is something you should stay in every situation what i'm saying is if this is the right conversation for you to have going look i'd like us to wear condoms and that's um something that you feel you can negotiate in this relationship that's really helpful to do so if you find it's actually abusive you probably need to be contacting some form of domestic violence um or or abuse line uh, to support you through this yeah and i think that the advice that we've just been given is i think that covers any type of sexual act which is without a consent or there's an issue around or your your wishes are not being respected i think it's reaching out for, if you need help with the right people if you if you feel there's an abuse involved but also learning to communicate and it's that learning to communicate which seems to be sadly missing in a world where we've never been so connected but yet we can't seem at points to be able to communicate our own needs. And I think a lot of that does come down to, we don't often know what our needs are. I mean, if I ask a client, a new client, what do you really, really want? It's, I can see their eyes, you know, moving left to right. I don't know what, what type of question is this? And most people don't know what they really want. And I think it's a good time to find out no matter what age you are really, explore what it is, who you are, what yeah, it is that you really good. want for this life, yeah. Yes, that's so important. I, you know, I mean, I'm sat here wearing a, a pearl choker, right? And I was thinking <laughs> I before that. I put this on, and I, and I, was, I was genuinely thinking before I put this on, going, do I want to appear on a podcast wearing a pearl choker? And then I thought, well, does it give me pleasure? Do I enjoy it? Do I like the colour of it? Do I like this? Yeah. I do, actually. So what I'm trying to do is hide myself by trying to appear how I expect people might want their doctor to look like. And I, I don't yeah. wear this in, in work, but like, <laughs> I, I, I thought that I need to stop being so performative and actually go with, I'm in a safe space, I'm talking to a mate, mm. um, you know, I'm having a conversation, I'm just, why wouldn't I dress the way I want to dress? And equally, I would extend that to conversations I need to have with my partner, my friends, um, the, the, the way I want my friends to treat me. Because obviously, mm. you know, obviously there's sexual relationships, but equally there are friendship relationships, which I value as you know, almost as deeply, not quite as, sorry, Matt, um, almost <laughs> as deeply as I do my, 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 my sexual relationship. Um, so, so I want those to be of, of high value. And that requires me to know what I need to get out of that relationship 
me to understand from you what I'm giving or not giving, you know, as, yeah. as the case may be. And sometimes it may be I'm just talking a bit too much about myself or, you know, the energy's the other way. And actually you've had a really difficult time with fertility or you've had a really difficult time with them, you know, your, your, your work or whatever. And it's fine because actually it ebbs and flows, doesn't it? But being able to have those conversations going, do you mind if we just talked a little bit less about work in a, in a way that's friendly and supportive, but that equally extends to everything. I, I don't understand with the apps out there, with Tinder, with Grindr, and with all these things, I recognize the benefit of them because you can access a whole range of people that you wouldn't necessarily meet in real mm. life. But the problem with that is if you haven't met them in real life and then you, you have to try and engage with people in a nightclub, uh, in a bar or wherever, you know, or in, in, you know, in college or wherever you meet someone, how do you talk to them for the first time? You know, how do you chat someone up? How do you engage in friendship conversation? Let, let me, you know, let's forget sexual conversation. You know, how do you have conversations with your grandparents who aren't going to be around for much longer? You know, how do you have these valuable conversations if you don't necessarily have the tools? Because all of it is, is via an app or it's, you know, yeah. it's typed um, or it's a series of emojis. And, and, and that's why I, ha I feel that you know, social media is very much a double edged sword. I think it's great that it's able to access you know, such a massive community and you can learn so much. Um, and in such a short space of time, I think that's wonderful. But what I do think it's missing is that human contact face to face in someone else's presence um that i think is so valuable as a human being and we know that loneliness um if you think yourself as lonely it's as bad to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day it is yeah it's got yeah. higher risks of dementia high risks of, of of heart attacks poorer immune function um you know all of you know high risk of cancer all of these things because we've we've evolved to need it and we are losing the tools to communicate which allows us to have that and we're also isolating ourselves because we're online so I think, you know, mixing the online with the personal and in person, I think is really where I'd, I'd encourage people, you know, see your friends face to face. Don't just type to them through Discord or wherever, you know, yeah, be, yeah. be with them, engage. I think that's such great advice. And it's something that I'm seeing quite a lot. There are lots of children living in captivity is how I call it. You know, they're not really allowed to go out and play. And when I was a kid, we built our social skills up through, you know, social dynamics of the children that were in our streets and things like that, whether it's negative or positive. That's how we learned to communicate. Um, and besides, I know that kids I mean, sometimes do that you're right. School. It was a bit feral. Yeah. Sorry, you're saying? It's, it's a bit straight. Yeah. Sorry, no, so well, can... sometimes, obviously, our childhoods were a bit feral, weren't they? Because you were kind of like <laughs> yeah. left at 9am and you'd come back at some unspecified time, having been wandering <laughs> God knows where. Yeah. Um, but, and so I think there is a balance to be struck between that lovely um, looseness yeah. that actually allowed you to, to, to feel confident in, in each other's company and actually then meant, you, because you were socialised, you could then socialise with people that you might want to have romantic or sexual relationships yeah. with because you kind of knew the rules of engagement or you kind of learned some really crappy rules from your friends and then True. you tried them out and they realized your friends were idiots yeah. um, and didn't know <laughs> what they were talking about but, but equally that that was kind of a really good experiential way mm. of learning that um, so yeah i mean I, I love the fact that you can kind of like wiki how how to break up with someone or how to do this and how to do that yeah, yeah. i don't think there's anything like the real life experience of of kind of being turned down and, and 
Yeah. And the, you know, how that actually feels. But also getting back off that, you know, you fall off that horse, it's devastating, it's embarrassing, it's shameful, it's frustrating. Mm. It's all of these things. But then you kind of go, okay, I can either not ask someone else out for another five years, which is what I did, because it was, it was so humiliating oh, to me. Okay. Or I can kind of go, do you know what? I would like to try this again. And I know I might get hurt. But all I'm doing is asking a question. If someone says no, mm. that's okay. I'm allowed to ask and they're allowed to say no. Yep. And I, I, you know, I think this is a good place for us to, unfortunately, end our conversation because I, I know you're going, you're busy. You're, you're going off to look for a dog. I think this is, is this, a, is this your new experience for you <laughs> and Matt? Is this a new thing? <laughs> well, this is a new thing. This is something that Matthew wants very much. And this is something that I am not sure I want. Uh, so we are having lots of conversations, including, yeah. which is actually really good for our communication, including me going, so when this dog inevitably chews one of my lovely pair of shoes <laughs> and I shout at you, yeah. how are you going to respond? And his answer was, I will recognize that it's entirely my fault. I wanted the dog and we shall have conversation about reparations, which is exactly what I needed to hear. Uh, good. So you, you got it. Cool. So oh, I hope it goes well for you. I'll have to pop round and uh, well, if you get the dog, obviously I'll pop round and uh, see the little one and things like that. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. So much gold here for people um, and hopefully it'll get people to really rethink their expectations around sex and their relationships and their communication. Please sort out your communication, people. That's what I'd say, because uh, it's so important. If people want to find more about you, um, Dr. Anand Patel, or TV's Dr. Anand Patel, as we call you. <laughs> um, where, <laughs> where can they find you? Um, yeah. Uh, well, just based on Instagram, it, yeah. it's Dr. A-N-A dot N-D. Lovely. So I will Dr. A-N-A dot N-D. Perfect. I will put your details in the show notes. And just let people know, if you loved this conversation, we are having another one uh, next month all around health and, uh, you know, mental health and things in general, physical health. So um, look out for that because uh, it will be, I know, as entertaining as this one. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show, Anand. It's been an amazing to have you here. Finally, um and i hope it goes well with your thank you so much for such a lovely experience paul it's been it's been really lovely talking to you so thank you so much for your time thank you so much for listening to this episode with me and dr anand patel if you have any questions for him you can connect with him via his instagram page the details are in the show notes scroll down and you will see his link there i look forward to connecting with you in the next episode Have the most incredible day.